Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is The Guardian. We sort 43, we'll implement 43. But yes, we'll do as well. We'll get emissions down. You know, we want the country doing as well as we can. Um, and we'll work together with the states and territories. And if we do better, that's that's you know that's great news for the country. Hello, lovely pod people. Welcome to Australian Politics. You're with Catherine Murphy, political editor of Guardian Australia and the host of this show. And uh, with me this week is the Minister for Climate Change and Energy, Chris Bowen. We recorded this chat on Friday after a truly frenetic week for him as a newbie in the portfolio. It's all kinds of issues with energy costs, a whole meeting that had to be had uh, between the Commonwealth and the states to work out what, if any, solutions can be brought to bear to bring down energy prices and to sort of set up better arrangements for the future. So he's been completely flat out. Chris, uh, thank you for finding the time to come on the pod. Always a pleasure, Murph. Uh, Now, just first question, how are you settling in? Uh, Well, thank you. Um, It's been quite uh, the first week, Um, as you know. I'm sure we'll get to those issues, but I'm a little bit used to that. coming into sort of controversial and big portfolios and there being plenty to do early in the early <laughs> days, the first couple of days. But certainly, yes, it's been um, a bit of a what they call a baptism of fire as, uh, you know, uh, I was getting, I was, I was literally getting text really? messages during the swearing in. What, from saying, officials? or have a bit of a crisis to... on our hands. So uh, li- li- literally um, uh, that's what, yeah, <laughs> that's right in terms of mm. uh, uh, from the office, et cetera, well, yes. Wh- so. Um, that's that was the that was the introduction to the climate change and energy portfolio and the legacy of the previous government. But we've having said that, we've made you know I'm sure we'll talk about it, but really good atmosphere of cooperation, particularly with the states and territories and sector, to you know draw a line under the climate wars and get on with it. Yeah, um, and we will. Just one more thing before I get into the events of this week specifically. Briefings, obviously, you've had them now. Um, did anything jump out at you that you didn't expect? in terms of your incoming briefings? Obviously, you've just said people texting you at the swearing-in to say, ah, whoops. Um, but was there but was there anything that stuck out to you when officials kind of got you across the main portfolio issues? I, I, I think, um, I mean, some generalities and some specifics. Generalities, you know, very high quality, as you would expect, of officials, both in my new department and in the various agencies, and frankly, officials who've been held back. You know, good ideas floating around the bureaucracy, people roaring to go, great policy brains, but, you know, a real sort of spirit of 
oh, the previous government didn't want to do anything. So, you know, people was like, what's the point of being in a public service um, when all your advice is rejected and ignored? And so I spent a lot of time uh, in between, you know, dealing with the crisis, sort of sending the messages, there's a new government in town, you know, you, your work is valued, your ideas are necessary, um, uh, we want we want your mm. abilities working for the country on this massive national task. So that's been, a, you know, that's been quite, quite apparent to me um, across various agencies, um, really smart people who want to do good things who haven't had the opportunity for their talents to be harnessed for the country and we want to harness, I want to harness them as, as minister. I mean, and yes, um, I mean, the specific mm. one I guess is in the, in the news today, uh, as we broadcast on Friday, um, or as we record, I should say, on Friday, um, that um, mm. the, the previous government's signature policy is Snowy 2.0, uh, 18 months behind schedule, and they didn't bother to tell anybody pre-election that that's the way it was tracking. Um, you know, I think Snowy 2.0 is a good program, good project, credit, credit where it's due to Malcolm Turnbull for um, getting it through. It's not going to make a difference um, until it's up and running and plugged in and that's years away so um you know way behind and again you know i understand the reasons why it might be way behind but um if it's the previous government's signature that they point to well you also got to be honest about what's gone wrong with it mm. and i've got a million questions on snowy but you haven't got a million minutes today so let's let's keep moving just on energy and gas for this week right so obviously as you alluded to chris you've had a meeting with your state counterparts can we step through a couple of elements of that so basically ministers are tasking the um, AEMOs, so the folks who run the grid, with uh, setting up a gas reserve uh, and that didn't exist before and, and the reason for that obviously is to have some gas on standby when you hit problems like the problems that we're hitting at the moment. But the costs of that, obviously that's not cost-free to have a stock of gas on hand. So who ultimately pays for that? Is that consumers or who pays for that? So, look, as you said, uh, I'm careful about the word reserve just because I get confused with a domestic gas reservation, which is the separate issue. I know that's not what you're talking about. But, but yeah, the supply of gas which we can store and AEMO, who are the the market operator, they work for governments, um, can then release if necessary if they feel that, you know, there's not enough gas in the system and they can release it. And the, um, so AEMO would run that. So AEMO would purchase the gas and store it. Yep. And then when they released it, I sold it into the system uh, that they would buy it and they would sell it. And AEMO works on a cost recovery basis from the people that they work with. So, and look, the, the, to be frank, Murph, the cost of buying this gas, while it would be a substantial amount of gas, in the greater scheme of the energy system and the people who already pay fees to AEMO, it's 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 nobody's going to it's not going to be an issue um, in terms of uh, the size and scale of that compared to AEMO's current operations mm. and what they have to do every day. So mm. it's it's an investment well worth it just to have, you know, um, a, a, a supply of gas being there to say AEMO says, well, we don't have enough gas in the system. The prices are skyrocketing, so we're going to release some. Every so often, as a release valve, that's just pretty important. Release valve safety net, you know, term of your choice to have there. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, and I understand that you know it, it would be a very marginal cost in the scheme of things, but yeah. I don't just at a technical level understand whether or not the generators pick up the tab for that or whether consumers do. Well, it's the people who currently pay their fees to AEMO, so that's various players in the electricity sector and yeah. the energy sector, um, and. As I said, they already pay, you know, fees to AEMO and AEMO has 
operating costs and they will go up from time to time. But the proportion of that that gets, you know, factored in the energy system is very, very small compared to all the costs that the energy companies already mm. have. Mm, okay. And the capacity mechanism, again, sorry to uh, for folks who aren't energy nerds. Let's as, nerd out. Let's you know, nerd let's, out well, on the capacity it's, mechanism. Let's it's, it's, what, it's what we do. It's what yes. we do. So let's our, lean our, into and it. And our listeners love it when we nerd out. I'm sure that you is, get that feedback. That is true. That is true. So the capacity mechanism, now this was an idea that the previous government sort of started on the road to implementing. Um, yes. There's very mixed views about it around the traps and uh, there would have been mixed views about it around the table at the state and uh, energy ministers meeting in terms of who should be in and who should be out, right? The criticism of the government's sort of uh, proposal such as it was uh, for a capacity mechanism, which is basically if we explain to people listening, if you're not fellow energy nerds, it just means that there's a proportion of generation capacity that's basically on standby when people when people need it, right? That's fine. Right? So, uh, look, the government, it was, it was sort of branded a coal tax by various people, the government's model of this. Or coal keeper, right? Uh, yes, coal keeper, but not a coal tax. So is coal in or out? Because the statement that you all issued suggested that it would be renewables, basically, that you're building yeah. up as part of the capacity mechanism, but I'm not entirely clear. Coal in or out? So there's, there's, I'm going to take a little bit of time to answer this one, Murph, because it's not a yes or no answer, right? So to honest with our listeners and clear. So you're right, capacity mechanism is basically payment to have spare capacity into the system. So it doesn't mean it's running at any particular time, but it means it's there and can be called upon if necessary. We don't have that. And most energy systems either have one or are moving towards one. So it was a recommendation of Kerry Schott uh, yep. and her energy security board. Um, and I have got a lot of time for Kerry doesn't mean we agree on absolutely everything, but I've got a lot of respect for her experience and her, you know, her understanding of the energy market. So basically she came up with this idea. It was very controversial, as you said. Some people said, oh, this is just an excuse to keep coal-fired power in longer. That's not the way Kerry Schott sees it. You know, she doesn't, she thinks it'll actually be much more powerful than getting more storage and renewables into the system. But, you know, mm. there's a debate. Mm. So energy ministers, that's so this has got to be owned by all of us, not just me, but state and federal. When that happened, there were, you're right, some states said, no, we're not going to buy, buy into it. Others said, no, that's a great idea. Something like it has operated in Western Australia for a long time. So Western Australia is all for it, the Labor government there. Now, what we did as a principle, as the ministers agreed, that it, we should have a capacity mechanism, so that was a step forward, and agreed that it should support new technologies, renewables and storage. Now, how that actually gets designed uh, is is now for the Energy Security Board to put out their next draft mm. of what yep. they think the capacity mechanism will look like. That'll go to state and federal ministers and we'll have another discussion about it. But we've laid down the principle as ministers that we want it to encourage new technology. Now, I think there's a number of ways that, that could happen. I don't want to get into the details and preempt the ESB's work. I think there's a number of ways you could meet our objectives of saying, we want capacity. Some of it is inevitably baseload, right? That's that's sort of almost by definition. Um, yep. But we want we want capacity which can come from storage, so you can have you know pumped hydro, um, which is ultimately it's not really sort of regarded as storage, but ultimately as a form of storage. Pumped hydro, you pump the water up the top of the hill, you leave it there for when you need it, you can let it back down again. That's a form of storage. There's all sorts of ways, and I know some of the ESP's thinking, and I'm encouraging them to get that out quite soon. 
so that people can actually see and we're not talking around the houses about what it looks like because I want people to be able to see it. But I think there's a number of ways it could work. And I'm, I'm confident, Murph, that um, with a bit of goodwill, as the state and territory ministers have shown on um, Wednesday night and from the, sec- from the sector, including, you know, the renewable energy sector, we can come up with something very sensible, which people see is not quote-unquote coal keeper, um, but yeah. sensible and recognises that this transition's got a long way to go yet and, you know, we can't close down all the coal-fired power stations or the gas-fired power stations tomorrow. Uh, I've been very clear about that. Um, I'm pretty confident that with a bit of respect and a bit of goodwill we can bring bring people with us because I think the capacity mechanism is going to be really important and we don't we can't wait till 2025. We're going to have to get on with it, as I've said publicly. There's some way to go. Like some people said, oh, Bowen's flicked it to the Energy Security Board. He's wiping his hands of the decision. That's with respect to misunderstanding of the situation. Ultimately, ministers, including me, will have to sign it off. But the ESB mm. are the experts who can work on the detailed design of what it looks like to achieve what are my objectives, you know, net zero and 43% by 2030. That's my objectives. That's what I want to see done, and I want to see any mechanism consistent with that. Okay. And just uh, one more point just on a baseload before we leave that concept. Some of the issues at the moment have been exacerbated by the fact that the coal plants are all but clapped out. Uh, They're not necessarily uh, generating sufficient capacity when it's required, as in uh, they're offline or or whatever, but there are always dark mutterings around the energy market about manipulation at moments like this where there's big price spikes, right? Are you concerned that there might be any manipulation on the part of the generators that's not obviously contributing to a crisis which is multifactorial and we, we know why that's why it's happening, but are you worried about that as an issue? Um, Murph, I think I've got to be careful in what I say because I, I, I you know, um, don't want to, I think I put it this way. If there is any, I would be deeply, deeply concerned by it. And any action taken by the regulators to deal with it would have my full support and I wouldn't care who owns the generators doing it. Um, I would not tolerate it. Now, I, I, you know, I'm not saying there is, to be clear, um, to answer your question. I'm not saying there is, but I'm saying if there were, I would not tolerate it. Mm. And but has anything like that been brought to your attention specifically as being a matter for investigation, or you know, is is there anything? I've been very sort clear of... that the ACCC and the energy regulator should have every powers they need, and we've given them more transparency, particularly around the gas sector. So about to give them the powers they need to make sure that they can see what's going on. Um, but, you know, it's pretty important too that we don't have too much market concentration um, and, mm. that, you know, the, in a perfectly functioning market that wouldn't even be possible, right? That's only possible if the market's not functioning well uh, or if it's too dominated by, by a certain number of players. Um, yeah. to, to your question, there's, you know, nobody has come to me and said this company is doing this and that and that's, you know, that we think that's a breach of the law. No, that has not been put to me. Mm. But it's the general, your general concern, one that, that uh you know, is not you don't hold alone. Sure, uh, but that's what I'm saying. I would not, I would, I wouldn't hesitate to act if I had any particular uh, cases um, brought to me uh, that the regulators should deal with and deal with with the full force of their powers. And you've you've raised it so just again quickly, like because that is an issue, the concentrated structure of of the industry, right? That's a sort of, I mean, call that a botched privatisation effect in mm. a way, right? You know, we've sort of gone from public monopolies to private duopolies or whatever. Um, is that something you'll look at? 
Well, again, I mean, you know, it, it, once the market's pre- pretty heavily dominated, it takes, you know, you, you need new players. Um, mm. And the moment, at the moment, my focus is on keeping stability in the system and keeping, yes, yes. keeping the system. Yes, keeping the lights on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Okay. Now, we, we, may, we may come back to that at another point. Now, one thing I was fascinated by in the statement that you guys put out after the Energy Minister's meeting, um, you're wanting not just the ISP, which again, for non-energy nerds, is a document that the market operator puts out, which sort of forecasts basically how the electricity market's going to run and what components are needed in order to make it run. It's a sort of series of forecasts, right? But you guys came up with an agreement to plot a path to net zero, which is beyond what the ISP does, right? So this is almost a sort of, well, dare we say, Chris, cooperative federalism, yeah. like a, a yeah. set of a set of principles that all Australian governments would work together on in order to achieve that objective, right? So I thought that was really interesting. Mm. One, one, because as you you sort of referenced before some of the historical dynamics in the Energy Council have been a bit fraught, shall we say. Um, Not everybody has gotten along all the time. And certainly under the last government, I think one of the most interesting schisms was between Angus Taylor and Matt Keane. But anyway, putting that to one side, Ryan, do we read by this that there is a desire on the part of the states and yourself to potentially accelerate that transition? Because there's obviously a debate about, uh, you know, Labor's target, whether or not it's sufficient, whether or not we can go faster, whether or not there are mechanisms you can build around the target, in essence, to overachieve on the target. What am I to make of that new agreement that you've all signed off on? I I think you're 100% right, Murph. Of all the things we agreed, this wasn't the most urgent. There were short-term measures, but I think it was probably the most important. Yeah. Um, and there was a real spirit of cooperation around the table. I'd, I'll just spend a, two seconds on that. You know, the states and the territories have been at war with Commonwealth and vice versa on energy for a long time, and it's not a Labor and Liberal thing, you know, uh, and enough's enough. You know, we're all one team. Let's get on with it. I rang every state and territory energy minister early and said that and got great responses and then said it collectively to them and said, and said you know, I know this has been a very contested room. Um, where there's been a lot of fighting. Um, I'm here as the National uh, Energy Minister to say I want a national leadership and a national framework, but I want you as key partners in it and we're all working together. And the response, you've got to remember around that room of energy ministers actually is pretty rare because there's Labor ministers, Liberal ministers and a Green minister. Yeah. Um, so we're the full rainbow of, um, of, of partisanship. And the response was great. I mean, they were just very responsive to that approach um, and said, you know, it's a... It's the most interaction, positive interaction we've had with the Commonwealth Minister in years and years and years. So, you know, I, I really sort of took that to heart and appreciate their them responding to me in the, in the same spirit in which I, you know, reached out to them. On the agreement, you're right. There's this, there's the ISP, the Integrated Systems Plan, and that's written by EMO, and that's about where do we need transmission-wise when um, yep. for the you know, energy system and the energy revolution that's underway. And it's a great document. It is actually world's best practice. It's, it's you know, other countries would love to have it. But I, when I look at that, and I think, well, that's great, but it only gets us so far. You know, what about all the other investments and infrastructure we're going to need to get to net zero and get to 43% by 2030? They're, they're massive. It's not just transmission-wise, as important as they are, to get renewables from where, where the energy is generated, where it's consumed. It won't happen without those. But we're going to need a lot more. I mean, how are we going to get the green hydrogen around the country when we yeah. have it? You know, how we, how, where, where's the green hydrogen going to be produced and how are we going to get it to where it's going to be consumed? Um, that's just, you know, 
and wouldn't it be good to have one document, not have an ISP over here and a green hydrogen strategy over there and have, you know, something else in another drawer? What if we had one document which all the states and territories and the Commonwealth have written together and agreed on and say, right, this is the roadmap. Here's what we're going to do. And I call it a sort of supercharged ISP or an ISP on steroids, taking that concept of transmission wires and um, putting it uh, on um, on the whole gamut, and particularly particularly hydrogen, and you know, and including where the existing infrastructure fits in, where do the gas pipelines fit in, and how many of those, and how easy can it be to convert those to green hydrogen, and do we need more of them, etc. That's that's what that document is all about. It's all focused on the transition that we need to do to get to net zero and where the investments are. So, you know, we haven't written it yet. It's an agreement to do it, but it's a pretty important agreement and a pretty big step forward. But does it herald, um, you know, look, I've, I I can see a set of propositions where obviously the, the new government will want to legislate the 2030 target that you took to the election, right? Like, yep. obviously, you don't want to tell people, let's do 43% and post-election say, oh, actually, let's, let's do 60, right? Yeah. Yep. But, uh, but obviously, you can implement a target, but you can also sit or put in place a a set of measures around the target that could mean that we overachieve on the target, for example, right? Because the transition's yep. on. <laughs> you know, That's I presume right. a, a newly elected Labor government is not going to tell companies, oh, could you could you just transition a bit slower, please? Would you that might, would be like, odd, right? That would be an odd approach. It yes. would be an odd approach, right? So I'm just trying to see whether there is some proposition, you know, whether whether you're all as a collective thinking about overachievement on that target. Well, I mean, the, the previous government used to talk about meeting and beating, so, fair, you know, I, I'd like to meet and beat as well. Um, um, yes, you're right. I mean, I think to, to your point, yes, we will seek to legislate 43. That is the NDC that we will sign. Um, that's. I think that's really important. I find this, I know uh, this argument's a bit odd, you know, that some people run, oh, well, you've won the election, now you can do better. Uh, you know, congratulations on winning the election and now we'd like you to trash the platform which you took the election which you won. And I just don't, I don't quite compute that argument. Um and frankly, it's important if we're going to bring Australia with us, we have to hold true. And you know, in 2010, you know, there was a close election, and then you know, government policy changed just after the election, and we lost. You know, yeah. we lost the Australian people. You know, they, yeah. they, 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 they were no longer part of the project of what we're trying to achieve because we lost confidence. Uh, I won't let that happen. Um, what we'll do is we sort 43, we'll implement 43. But yes. We'll do as well. We'll get emissions down. You know, we want the country doing as well as we can, um, and we'll work together with the states and territories. And if we do better, that's that's you know that's great news for the country. Mm-hmm. Um, but forty three is what we're seeking to do. Um, and then, you know, in due course, we'll develop and publish a twenty thirty five target as we're obliged to do. And the better we do between now and twenty thirty, the better that twenty thirty five target can be. It's all it's all important. Flowing from. You know, this point we make about overachievement. Have you had any conversations yet with Adam Bant or with other members of the crossbench? I'll tell you why I'm asking. I know that Mark Dreyfus, for example, the new AG, has had a conversation with Helen Haynes, who has a particular interest, obviously, in an integrity commission and the design of such a body. He's had a conversation with her about some avenues in the parliament for collaboration. What what are you doing in recognition of the fact that you've got this massive crossbench and, in essence, that the Teals in particular are now a buffer zone between the Liberal Party and government, 
right? Yep. So uh, ha- have you engaged anyone yet? Yeah, so I've spoken to every Teal MP, um, a couple of them more than once, but, you know, I've spoken to them all once. Um, and that was you know, like an introductory call. And basically my message is, look, one, congratulations. Uh, two, you know, we have a majority in our own right, so we'll seek to implement what we sought. But I do look forward to working with you and I'll have an open door and there will be things we can engage on very positively. And if we and in areas where we don't agree, it's just better we understand where each other's coming from, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and try and try and find areas where we can work together. I think that's, you know, should be unremarkable regardless of who's got a majority where it should be unremarkable that MPs should try and find areas of agreement where you can work together. Mm. Um, and they were they responded as, again, in kind, um, uh, you know, positively and warmly said, yep, we've got our agenda. There's a lot of alignment with yours. There are some differences, but let's, you know, let's let's have lines of engagement and communication and, you know, that'll continue. Uh, and and uh, the Greens? What about the Greens? And, and the same with, uh, just before the Greens, the same with David Pocock in the Senate who's oh. not... Of not, course, not quite teal, but you know, of that, uh, of that progressive um, bent. I uh, had a couple of conversations with him, and very constructive and engaging. On the Greens, um, I, I am meant to catch up with Adam Bant, but he's not well, um, so oh. it, it'll be a similar sort of you know conversation. And I know Adam uh, fairly well; he knows me fairly well. Um, there are things where we agree entirely, and we should work you know um, as constructively as we can. Where we where we don't agree, um, we can still have lines of communication. Um, he says, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. And I would say to him, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good, right? There'll be well, areas. Where, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, but, but is he, what is his disposition? I mean, sorry, Adam, if you're listening, get well soon. I was unaware yes. you were, you were unwell, but anyway, Chris, in terms of that, that perfect, letting perfect be the enemy of the good dynamic that has been a I, feature. I, I, I haven't had a good conversation with him yet because he is unwell, but, um, so I can't, and I don't want to speak on his behalf, but. Uh, again, where there's areas where we can work together, that's fine. And, you know, I understand, as I say publicly, I understand, he's got a mandate from the people who voted for him uh, and I respect their mandate in their seats. Right? And I would ask him to respect our mandate across the country in the um, seats that we hold and, and the majority we form. Um, now, there can be sensible conversations. They can move amendments to things we want to do and if we have the numbers to defeat their amendments, they've got to decide whether they vote for the whole bill or not, et cetera. They're, this is just quite normal, you know, quite, and, and adults can take this in their stride and work it through. Um, my door will be open to the Teals collectively or individually. I mean, they're not a political party, so mm. they, we shouldn't mm. expect that they always vote the same way, by the way, you know. Yep. Um, they're independents who happen to be, have have areas of commonality, but they are independents, so they are not a, a block. But I'll deal with them individually and collectively. Uh, I will have engagement with the Greens. Oh, for that matter, you know, I'll have engagement with the opposition if they choose to. I mean, mm. you know, it's it's up to them. We, we, we seek to end the climate wars. I don't know whether the climate wars will end or not because, <laughs> you know, people, we can't just declare the climate wars. We, as the new government, seek to end the climate wars and bring Australians together with us. I guess the best example of that so far has been that state meeting where, again, as I said, Labor, Liberal and Green all sitting around. There were some, you know, good discussions, but at the end of the day we unanimously endorsed a statement which had some pretty meaty stuff in it. It does show... Mm that with a bit of goodwill mm. you can get it done. And last one, just on gas and the reservation, uh, obviously there was uh, Madeleine King 
outlined some changes or that, that you know, you're going to basically refine that mechanism so it actually works. I mean, it's, it's sort of interesting because the government, to my observation, forgive me, Keith, Peter, if you're listening, um, basically uh, set up that reservation with the idea of telling the Australian public it existed, but they certainly didn't ever want to use it. Yeah. And the reason they didn't want to use it is obvious. Gas producers don't want it used. Yeah. Right. So now you're suggesting you actually want a mechanism that might work, which yeah. is a, 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 a distinct policy difference from the last government. Now, gas producers are going to go nuts, aren't they? Well, um, your words, not mine, but they have strong views. Um, but we've got to come up with good policy of the country. And um, you're right, the last policy, the ADGSM, that gets called the trigger. It's not much of a trigger. You know, I don't, I don't like calling it the truth. It's giving it too much credit. It's, mm. it's a mechanism and a very clunky one at that, um, the way the previous – I think the previous government, you're 100% right, one of the headline, you know, Liberal government tough on gas but didn't really want to do anything. So mm. they designed this, um, you know, roundabout sort of very blunt instrument. Um, you know, it's going to be months of consultation and there's got to be certain trigger points and they're not price-related. Now, so we have said we'll look at reform. So Madeline King's going to engage in a in a process. So one, it ran out on the thirty first of December anyway, so it needs to be renewed. Um, so we'll do that. Secondly, we will look at trying to make it better. I mean, ideally, it should never be. If you got a trigger, you shouldn't need to pull it, right? Ideally, because yeah. yeah. people should be. And and partly that if that work, if we have a, a better design and we say to the gas industry, look, we might have to pull this trigger unless this happens and they do it, everybody wins, you know, we don't have to pull mm -hmm. the trigger. But, yeah, sure, we'll have respect for relationships with everyone, um, including the, the gas industry, but we'll make decisions in the national interest, including reforming um, the gas trigger. Mm. So you don't mind if there's a blue in the air? Well, there's no such thing as a consensus where the manufacturers think this is wonderful the gas producers think this is wonderful like you know there's just that that world doesn't exist you've got to you've got to have tough conversations with people and again you know respectfully i've got respect for the you know the gas companies but respectfully australians i think are entitled to say well that gas comes from under australian ground and if it's needed in australia we need some sort of mechanism to have it used in australia you know and that's the role of the government to come up with the right policy to get that done yeah, but there'll be all sorts of screeching about sovereign risk. Well, I mean, and, you know, you've heard me talk about sovereign risk. On, you know, I have. Yes, mm -hmm. yes, you know, sovereign risk is important. That is, you know, people need to know they can do business with Australia and we won't rip up contracts. But, you know, there's, 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 th th that doesn't mean you can't have a sensible conversation about doing what needs to be done. Well, and that it would be prospective rather than... Correct. Than, yes. So, Correct. Yes. Anyway, but still, you know, I think both of us can confidently predict a blue. Um, but anyway, let's see how that rolls. Now, you're flat out. I'm very grateful for your time that you've managed to squeeze this conversation in in a re really busy week. Chris, thank you for coming on the show. We'll talk again soon. My absolute pleasure. Catherine Murphy, uh, great to be with you. thank you all so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. It's been a really hectic period for me with the lead up to the election uh, coverage of the election. And then in the past week, I have been with the new Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, to Jakarta and Makassar for a couple of days. So basically, I'm telling you, I'm really bushed. Um, I'm going to have a week off next week and we'll put the pod on hiatus for a couple of weeks just so that I can refresh, reset and 
and uh, bring you a new series of weekly episodes covering the implementation of the new government and also where the opposition and where the other parliamentary actors in this term, this substantial crossbench, Greens and others, where they all line up. And we head off covering that. So I'm going to see you guys in a couple of weeks. I promise regular listeners we will be continuing our Ask Us Anything episodes, which were enormously popular during the election campaign. And we had an absolute blast doing those episodes for you with the Canberra team. We will be doing more of those as well as the long form interviews that I think are actually really important uh, to bring to listeners, you know, in an age where the media cycle is very frenetic. So anyway, we'll be doing all of that. Drop us a line if you've got thoughts. Thank you so much to Jane Lee and to Alison Chan, who have produced the episode this week, and to Miles Martignoni, who's the EP of the show. We'll see you soon. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.